Good morning, everybody. Today, with such a shame, we'll be learning Daf Mem Aleph in Maseches Gittin. But let's start with the Mishnah on Mem Amud Beis, because otherwise, we're in the middle of a conversation that is too convoluted to uh, understand without going back to the beginning. So the Mishnah said in Mem Amud Beis as follows: We'll read it inside. So this is an interesting question. We were talking about. Um, the chasimos on a get, right? Because we're learning Masechah Zagitin, and we say, Mifnei Tikkun Olam, we do chasimos on a get. And then, in addition to that, we talked before Shabbos about Mipnei Tikkun Olam, uh, the different things that uh, we led le- to with Avadim, how you handle the uh, free- freeing of slaves, uh, the emancipation of slaves, the things that are uh, were enacted by Chazal for the Tikkun Olam, for the welfare of everybody. Okay, so they had to do it in order for everybody to be able to, um, in, in order for things to make more sense, right? Tikkun olam, tikkun olam. Okay, so, what's the case? So we're continuing with the theme of avadim, slaves. In this particular case, a slave, which certainly was used as property in those days, was used as a collateral, essentially, right? So here's an interesting thing. A person, let's say, Barry borrowed from Andrew. Uh, and so now Andrew wants a collateral to know that he'll be able to get, uh, that he can collect in case he doesn't get paid back. So that's what the apotiki would be. Uh, apotiki is uh, actually amalgamation of words, apotie, right? Here will be, here shall be your, right, um, po, right? Like neskadolhaya po. Here is where you're going to pick it up. Apo tehe koi. Right? The creditor will stand here, basically. Okay, that's a Rashi in Bavakama. We'll get to it. Bezat Hashem. Be that as it may, it's essentially collateral. So what happens? Barry leaves his slave, um, gives his slave to Andrew as a collateral. Okay? Uh, however, he's not really giving it to him. He's just designated it to him. This is where your collateral is going to come from. Okay? But then Barry does something unusual, shichero. It seems like it's Barry that's letting him free. As we will see, our mission doesn't read straight and uh, has to be analyzed as to who's freeing this slave. Is it Barry or Andrew? Who has the authority over this slave? But let's assume Barry for now, right? So Barry will call master one and Andrew will be master two. So Barry is the original master of the slave, designates the slave, as a collateral, la cherem for Andrew, and he frees him. Okay, it says the Mishnah, Shura Sadin ein ha'evet chayev klum. Okay, Sadin, I should say, according to the Shura Sadin, the letter of the law, the slave has no obligation. Well, why would the slave have any obligation? Well, the point is, it sounds like the f- slave is freed, which is to say, right, if Barry set him free, so then he set him free. Just because he's a collateral to Andrew doesn't mean anything. In other words, Barry, you you designated a slave as a collateral, right? So now the slave is not only your slave, but now he becomes a financial obligation to someone else, to Andrew, right? So the question is, do you have the authority, right? This is the basic question. Do you have the authority to, to, to free such a slave? Right? Normally, if you have a slave, you have the authority. Whether it's what we want you to do or not, you would have the authority to free a slave. That's one of the things that you can do. But the question is, do you have the authority to do so if you'd already designated him right, as 
a financial obligation to someone else. So now, why, what would give you the authority to free him? So the, uh, so the mission is explaining that even though it's true that typically the that even though it's true that, listen, you, you, you kind of, and again, this is according to only one way of reading the Mishnah, but even though it's true that you uh, set him as collateral, but you kind of messed over Andrew, right? Because at the end of the day, you have the authority to free him, and therefore he doesn't owe Andrew anything, Right? And he was freed, so he should go. That's the Shuras Adin. That's the letter of the law. And it'll be Pnei Tikkun Olam. But before, because of the Tikkun Olam, Chazal said, no, you know what? Kofin es Rabo ve'oso so ben Chorin. So here again, Rabo sounds like the first master. Sounds like it'd be Barry. Ve'oso so ben Chorin. We force Barry to make him ben Chorin? Wait, I thought he made him ben Chorin. This is going to be where the Gemara picks up the Mishnah and has to explain Who's, which master, are we talking about Andrew or Barry in these cases? Be that as it may, Kofanes Rabba Vosot Soben Choron, we'll see what the Gemara means, why, who, we force who to make him Bechoron, Bechosef Shtar al Damav, and that, and then, somebody, it looks like the slave, the free slave, has to write an IOU for his value, because after all, the slave does get a benefit out of being freed. We will talk about this, because the Gemara is going to say, why does the slave owe anybody anything? He, he's not, Involved in the transaction between Barry and Andrew, so we'll see, um, and and that that's really where the Gemara is going to say. Wait a minute, when we say we say Rabo, aren't we talking about Barry? Isn't that the original Ra? Uh, isn't that the original Baal? And Shicharo, shouldn't that be Barry also, the original Baal? So we'll see that if you read everything as Barry, if if you read the Mishnah all the way through as if the, it's all referring to Barry, the original Baal, the Mishnah doesn't read straight. So that's why we have two opinions in the Gemara as to which part is referring to Barry and which was referring to Andrew. So if it's not reading straight yet, don't worry, we're going to analyze it. Be that as it may, somebody has to free the slave, and that's the Takanov Tikkun Olam, and then somebody has to uh, write an IOU. We'll see who that is. That's the Tanakama. And then we finish the Mishnah with Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Omer, Eina Kosef Elam there is no promise, there is no note, there is no IOU, nobody owes anybody any, mo- any money, just free the slave. Okay, so now the Gemara is going to explain what's the case. The Gemara asks, Wait, who freed the slave? Again, Barry was the original owner, and he made the slave a collateral. And then who freed him? So, Amarav, this is a machlokas. Rav says, Rav Arishon, it's Barry, the first owner. And what the Mishnah means is that the surest I did ain't I ever of klum That since Barry freed the slaves, the letter of the law is that this slave is now free and has no obligation at all to Andrew, who's the second master, right, the creditor, Kidarava. and that is consistent with the ruling of Rava. Amar Rava, Rava said a fascinating thing: hektesh chametz v'shichur mafkin midei shibud. What are these three categories? So you have to see Rashi. So. Uh, we're not going to read it inside, but I'll say it like this. Hekdesh, right, is when a person designates something for the Mizbeach. So when you designate something for the Kedushas Haguf, as Rashi explains it, right, so that Kedushas Haguf means that that animal, when you designate it for the Beis HaMikdash, no longer belongs to you, right? That's one of the ways that something no longer belongs to you, right? Similarly, Chametz, which is the last Rashi in Mimbeiz, Right, he Rashi explains uh, a case where an Ovid Kachavim uh, lends money to Nisrael, and the Nisrael uses his chametz as a 
collateral. So, you know, no, no self-respecting over Kachavim should do this because they, they, they know there's something fishy with the Jews and the Mechir HaShamaits. Yeah, of course there is. What happens is, if in fact the Chamaits is of our love of Pesach, right? If it becomes Chamaits in Pesach, the Jew has no, right? The Jew's not like, it's Asr Bahanah to him, as we know. So, again, what's the common denominator that Rabbi's talking about with Hekdesh, Chamaits, and an Eved? All three of those things, once you, there are scenarios where they're no longer in your control at all, okay? Where you have, no, where you don't have any um, authority to control them, right? So Hekdesh means you've given it up to the base of Mikdash. So once you give something up to the base of Mikdash, that belongs to the base of Mikdash. It doesn't belong to you at all. Chametz, uh, once Pesach comes, you have no right, you, you have no right, you have no uh, uh, right to have any Hana from it. And an Evid, once you freed him, you have no rights to that Evid anymore. So what's our Mishnah saying, says Rava? Well, Rav, according to this concept of Rava, saying that what our Mishnah is saying is that once Barry freed his slave, even though he had already designated him as a, and that's what Rashi does. Rashi plugs in Hekdesh and Chametz also into this scenario. That if you've designated something as a collateral, but then you would take and either have Chametz on Pesach or, or something that you were Makdish, that, uh, the fact that the Torah takes away those things from your jurisdiction will trump your use of it as a collateral. So that even though you may have used it as a collateral, once you were, let's say, freeing the Evid or Makdish, the, the animal, so then it's no longer in jurisdiction. It's true that those things are in conflict, but the collateral goes out the window, right? Because you've already relinquished your rights to it and off it goes. So what is, how is Rava reading on Mishnah? Saying, Barry freed the slave and now the slave doesn't owe, now, now the slave doesn't owe Andrew anything and off he goes. Says the Gemara, right? But the problem is, what was the Tikkun Olam that our Mishnah is talking about? That what happens is, let's say Andrew finds the slave in the marketplace, and Andrew says, wait a minute, you're my slave. As Rashi says in the first Rashi, as we arrive in Memoh, right? What's going to happen is like this. Barry, your slave was an Evid Kanani, and you freed him. What happens when you free an Avakadani? As we've said, he becomes a full-fledged Jew. But Andrew it sees him in the street or in shul, right? Because he's a Jew. <laughs> so he shows up to the 620 minion. And then he says, by the way, you are my collateral. By saying that's not a good thing, right? Because he's supposed to be a full-fledged Jew. Now this slave has remarried or has married, right? And he has kids in TA and all of this. And Andrew still considers him his slave because he remembers that was a collateral. You never paid Andrew back, Barry. And, and, and we miss you, by the way, Andrew. And Andrew considers him his slave. Well, that's very damaging, right, for, for the shidduch prospects of the slave's, right, children. Because if Andrew considers him his slave, so then he's not a full-fledged Jew yet, he's not free yet, and it casts a shadow on his entire conversion and his entire life. So that's a big problem. That's where the tikkun kolam Tikkun Olam comes in. And it is for that reason, says the Gemara, that Kofinus Rabo Shani, we tell Andrew, you can no longer right, refer to this slave as a slave. He's no longer your collateral because of the fact that Barry freed him and because of the fact that halachically, mi'ikar hadin, this slave is considered to be free. We're going to force Andrew, right, to, who's the creditor, 
to free him, even though he had been a collateral, in order to what? In order to clear this Evid's name. Because of Evid Shtar al-Damav. And for that, who's writing the Shtar al-Damav? It's the Evid. It's the slave that writes a note, uh, al-Damav. Because, after all, it, there is value here to the Evid, right? Even though Andrew has no real claim to the slave, the slave himself does get a benefit, so it's appropriate that he compensate Andrew somehow. How much does he have to con- compensate him is, right, uh, is, is actually interesting, right? Because the slave wasn't really involved in the, in the financial transaction between Barry and Andrew, right? Um, but be that as it may, uh, he's going to write something, according to the Mishnah, the Evans going to pay Andrew for his services of freeing him, even though he never belonged to him as an Evid, in order to clear his name. However, for that reason, perhaps, so that's the Tanakama, if you'll recall in the Mishnah. And then, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, right, according to Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, a slave doesn't have to write anything, he doesn't have to owe any, Andrew any money, right, but rather, the Meshachrer, who's the Meshachrer in our case? It's Barry, right, the original owner of the slave, yeah, he writes the money, right, to Andrew because he was the one that was involved in the monetary transaction with Andrew, right? So Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, it sounds like he makes more sense here, in, in essence, right? Because, again, Barry borrowed money from Andrew. The slave was a collateral, and Barry freed the slaves. Yeah, so Barry should, should just write an IOU in lieu of the slave to Andrew. That's what makes the most sense to me. It is true that the slave gets something out of it, but the slave should have never been involved in the first place. He was freed. He doesn't know Andrew anything. So anyways, that's the Tanakhama verse of Shem Gamliel. That's according to Rav. Now the question is, what are Rav Shem Gamliel and the Tanakhama, according to Rav, what are they arguing about? Like why would the Tanakhama say that Barry pays Andrew money, whereas Rav Shem Gamliel says that Barry should pay Andrew the money, says the Gemara, so, fundamental machlokas. Mazik shibudo shel chavero. Yeah. This is talk about general hezek, right? What is the law if you have a collateral or a lien and you're mazik it? So, again, Barry owes Andrew money, okay? And he has a collateral. But that collateral isn't in play yet. Uh, however, once that, right, because the collateral is really only something that you use in the event that Barry doesn't repay the loan. But, so let's say a third party comes and destroys that collateral somehow. So is there Hezek? Well, that there is, there is some, certainly some value in it. So, but who do you have to compensate? The lien holder? Okay. So, Mars Avarchayev. So Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says that, yeah, that when you damage someone's collateral, you have to compensate the lien holder for the loss, which is to say, let's say Andrew is holding the slave as the collateral. So in that case, right, you have to compensate Andrew. So if, right, Barry has, so, so the question is more fundamentally, Andrew has collateral. And so the question is, Barry, when you give collateral to Andrew, are you responsible for Andrew holding the value of that collateral throughout the time that he has that collateral? That's really the question, right? The question isn't really the person who's mazik, the collateral. Uh, the collateral could have been damaged in any which way. But the question is, you giving a collateral to Andrew, do you, 
Barry giving collateral to Andrew, does he have responsibility for that collateral to hold value, right? If something happens to that collateral, do you, Barry, have responsibility to make sure that it retains its value? So if you hold that you do, so then that's Reb Shimon Gamaliel, right? That, that Barry has to make sure that that collateral retains its value and therefore, even though it was Barry that was Meshachar the Eved, so as a consequence, if Barry wants to be Meshachar the Eved and therefore uh, cause the collateral that's in Andrew's possession to lose value, Barry's going to have to repay Andrew for that because the collateral lost value. That's Barry's responsibility. However, Marasaf Rapater, this is a machlokas elsewhere, as we will see. But be that as it may, the Tanakama holds that Barry has no such responsibility for the collateral, you know, when Andrew takes collateral, he takes it as an, at his own risk, right? Andrew's taking collateral, and if anything were to happen to him, so then, you know, collateral isn't the actual payment. If it were the actual payment, then what would be the point of it, right? If you had the money in hand or the value in hand and you could compensate it, you wouldn't be borrowing the money, Barry, right? So, so you know, that the collateral is like a little extra layer of protection that Andrew has to, to recoup his money, but that doesn't mean that, he's going to, that it's guaranteed. Right, so that's really the question. Marsav Achayev, Marsav Patra is is collateral like guaranteed? Right, um, uh, F, is it FDCA whatever uh, backed by uh, backed by you know some sort of guarantee? So if you hold it is, so then Barry owes Andrew the money for the collateral that was um, that was damaged by the fact that the slave was freed. And if you hold that it's not guaranteed, so then what? So if it's not guaranteed, so then Barry doesn't have to compensate Andrew for the fact that he freed the slave. And so now the slave is going to write some sort of note for his whatever his value is to, to free him. He's going to write a note to Andrew, but it has nothing to do with the transaction per se between Andrew and Barry. Uh, and we have a brysa that supports that as follows. Itmanami, it's been said, Hamazik Shibuda Shel Chavero, that if... Barry has a collateral by Andrew, and that collateral somehow was destroyed. And that's the Machlokas Shimon Gamliel Verabanan. So we already have somewhere that this was discussed, and it was said elsewhere that that indeed is the Machlokas Shimon Gamliel Verabanan in our Mishnah. It's a question of Mazik Shibudo Shel Chavero. Fascinating question indeed. Okay, so now eight lines down, the Gemara is going to have not Rav's. But Ula. Ula understands our Mishnah entirely differently as follows. Says Ula. Mi shikharo rabo sheni. Wow. So again, Rav said that it was Barry that freed the slave. According to Ula, the Mishnah is not talking about that. According to Ula, it's Andrew that freed the slave. Wait a minute. So again, Andrew had the slave in his possession. Barry gave the slave to Andrew as collateral. And Andrew, having the slave in collateral, he's very, as we know, open-minded. He finds slavery to be a stain on humanity. And therefore, he frees the slave right away. Andrew frees the slave. Okay. So then how do you explain the Mishnah? It says the Mishnah like this. That really, <laughs> the Eved is not Chayev. Wait a minute. What was the lesson of the Mishnah? So we thought that it meant that he doesn't owe any money. To Andrew, he doesn't owe him anything. No. It means something totally different. It means that the Evid is not Chayiv and Mitzvah, which means to say he's still an Evid. Right? Because after all, why is the Evid still an Evid, Barry? Because Andrew has no authority to free him. Right? It's, it's not his Evid. It's just collateral in his possession, but it's Barry's Evid. So that's what Ain Chayiv Klum means. It doesn't mean that the Evid doesn't owe money. It means that the Evid doesn't, 
is not chayiv in mitzvahs because he's still an eved. But because of tikkun olam, shari yatsa love shem ben chorin. Once it's right, it's actually the converse, right? It's almost the exact opposite way of looking at the Mishnah. Pnei tikkun olam, yatsa love shem ben chorin. Right? It was Andrew made a big demonstration out of his liberal leanings, and he showed everybody, look, this was a state of humanity. I can't believe Barry had a slave. That's so not cool. I freed the guy. Well, Andrew didn't have authority to free the guy, but he's telling everybody he freed him. Therefore, Kofinitz Rabbo Rishon. So now once Andrew, right, made a big scene out of freeing the slave, we're going to go back to Barry and say, hey, Barry, Andrew's freeing the slave, but he has no authority to do so. You better free him because we don't want there to be confusion. So Barry, Kofinitz Rabbo Rishon, we're going to force Barry now, who gave the Evid to Andrew as a collateral, to free said Evid, Vechosef Shtar Aldamov. And who writes the Shtar al-Damab? The slave has to now write a promise, write, write a note to the, to Barry, basically, as is the case in, in, in a typical emancipation where a, where Shtar Shikhar is given. The Eva gives back a little bit of money for his value and in thus doing, uh, gets his freedom. Where does he get the money? It's not for now. But the point is, we'll get into Avadim more in depth, but the point is that Barry gets, um, that Barry has to free the slave, and the slave, as he does, right, uh, gives Barry some compensation, and that is the Tanakama. And Rav Shimon Megalil Omer, ain't no Kosev, that the slave doesn't have to give any money to Barry, Elam Meshachar Kosev. But rather, Andrew, who freed the slave, has to give the money to Barry, because it's he, right, who caused Barry to lose his slave. That Barry, that Andrew has to give some compensation to Barry. Right, because Andrew is the one that forced this freeing of the slave. Barry didn't have any intention of freeing the slave. Barry had a really properly good slave, and he gave him as a collateral to Andrew, not thinking by any means, not having any intention of freeing him anytime soon. This was a wonderful slave. And yet, Andrew forced the issue by declaring to everyone in Shul that he's freeing the slave, and therefore Andrew, according to right, Rav Shimon Gamaliel, has to compensate Barry for... The fact that now, because of Tikkun Barry has no choice but to free his slave, and it is Bar- as Andrew is going to pay him for that. So there, but my kamiflagi. According to this, what's the machlokas Tanakama and Rishim Gamliel? The hezek she'enu nikar kamiflagi, a huge sugya that could be discussed for months. The idea of hezek she'enu nikar. Hezek she'enu nikar basically means is damages, but you can't see it, right? You don't see the actual property damage. So hezek she'enu nikar is what's happening with Andrew, right? Andrew caused. A damage that's not really that visible. There's varying degrees of this. You could go through the sugyas and all the Rishonim and Achronim, right? Some forms of Hezek are more palpable than others. Here, I mean, you don't see any damage to the slave, right? But certainly the value uh, took a hit because Andrew freed him, or at least gave the perception. That's a Hezek, that's a form of Hezek Shano Nikar. We'll leave it at that, right? Because again, it's a damage that Andrew did to Barry because Barry no longer has any value in the slave because he has to free him. And therefore that, but it's not so obvious, right? Because you, nothing really changed in the value of the slave. The only thing that changed was Barry's relationship to the slave where he now has to free him. So Mar Savar Shmei Hezek. So Shim Gamliel said that's considered a Hezek and it is for that reason, since Andrew forced the issue and caused damage to Barry by, by forcing him to free him, that like unseen Damages is something where it is Shmei Hezek. That's real damage. Shmei Hezek would mean that it's sort of, um, right, quantifiable, right? And therefore, Andrew has to pay a certain amount of money to Barry because he caused the Hezek. 
Where the Tanakhama says, that's not the Hezek, right? Andrew didn't, didn't damage the slave. He changed the relationship. He may have uh, ruined things for Barry, but that's not really damages. You can't go ahead and say that that's damages. He just kind of made a production and freeing the slave, but he didn't damage anything uh, tangible. And therefore, okay, so it's not what Barry would have wanted, but you can't go and claim any money for that in court. You can't monetize that. And therefore, according to the Tanakama, it is the slave that's going to have to pay for his freedom as he normally would if Barry were willingly, right, um, freeing him. Okay, so that's the Machlokas according to Ula. Now the Gemara wants to know, Ula my time lam karav. Why did Ula not learn like Rav? Can you say that Andrew is the Rabbo? In other words, this has to do with the language of the Mishnah. The Mishnah, when you look at the language, says, Evisha so Rabbo Aposiki. So you think Rabbo, that's, 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 uh, that's Barry. That's the original Baal. And then it says Vishichro. So you say Vishichro. You think that's Barry. That's the Baal. In other words, who's the Rav? Who's the master? Barry. So who would be the Rabbo? Barry. And who's being Meshachrahim? Barry. So, because that's who, after all, who's gonna, who is Meshachrahim in a typical case? The master. So, Everything sounds like it's Barry, but if you, but as we said before, if everything's Barry, the case doesn't make any sense, right? The mission doesn't read right. So, it, in other words, the mission would read uh, a slave where Barry made him a collateral, and then Barry freed him. The uh, tikkun olam is that he has to make him a ben choren. Well, why does he have to make him ben choren? He already freed him. So, whether you hold like Rav or you hold like Ula, somewhere along the line, either the Rabbo or the Shichero has to be referring to Andrew, and neither is obvious in the Mishnah. The Mishnah, if you just read it without uh, having to make it make sense, wouldn't, would, you would just assume on the surface that Rabbo is Barry and Shichro is Barry. After all, he is the master of the slave. So that's what we're saying here. So reading back in the Gemara, Ula, my time, Lama Karav, Shani, Rabbo, Karislai? What? Is Andrew the Rabbo? No, Barry's the, ra- the, the, the master. Okay, but Rav, my time alone, Mark Ula. So why did Rav not hold like Ula? Amalach, Shani Meshachar Karslay? Who's Meshachar? Andrew's Meshachar? How can Andrew be Meshachar? He's not even the master. Well, as we know, right? That is the essence of Ula's Pshat. The essence of Ula's Pshat is that, yeah, the non master, Andrew, was the one that freed him, but even though he had no authority to do so, and that set off the whole Tikkun Olam of Barry having to free him. Right, so again, they, each one of them thinks that that's that the word Rav or the word Meshachar should apply to Barry, but one of them neither they can't both apply to Barry. So hence the two ways of looking at the Mishnah: one of Rav and one of Ula. One sees the Rav as being Andrew, the, uh, and one sees as the Meshachar as being Andrew, and it is there where you see the um, the Mechlok is fascinating. Okay, so now in the middle of the page, let's talk a little bit about Apotekit Maros. So there, Apotekit Lachir. Okay, so this issue of collateral. Okay, Ushtafa Nahar. Okay, what would happen in a regular case where Barry gives a collateral to Andrew and the whole thing gets destroyed, it gets flooded, ruining it, as Rashi says, forever. Okay, Ami, uh, Ami Shapir Nahar, that's the name of a person, Ami the Handsome, okay. Amar Rabbi Yochanan said the name of Yochanan, as Rashi says, that's his nickname, good, I wonder why. That that Andrew can't collect from any other property of Barry, right? Barry left a collateral. It was against 
right? It was not in his control that the collateral got destroyed. So again, collateral is not guaranteed, right? So therefore, it's not secured, I guess is the right word, right? So that was a machlokas. Rabbi Yochanan would say that, um, that Andrew, you know, you take a collateral, it's by definition not secured, and therefore if something happens to it, tough luck. And Avod Shemuel says no, that these collaterals are supposed to have some level of security, and in fact Andrew can recoup a different collateral from Barry's other assets. So I'm not going to be Shapiron. But just because, I'm, this is sarcasm, Barry. Just because Ami is handsome, does that give him the right? Uh, why do we call him the handsome? Because he says non-handsome things? Shmaita de Shapiran? Which is his way of saying, I don't understand this shot. Why should the collateral not be secured? What is the value of an unsecured collateral? It should be secured, he says. The Sargame Shmaisa de Amarle Loya Helacha Peron Elmizu. Rather, you have to say it like this. The only way where a collateral will be insecure would be where Barry says to, right, Andrew, you can only, this is an exceptional case, it's like a tenai. This is the only collateral you're going to get. Okay, well, if, if Andrew did the transaction with that understanding and agreed to that, so then that would, that would be part of the financial agreement, that, this, that if something were to happen to this collateral, he's, he's promising that he's not going to go after any other assets. Well, once he's done that, so then of course, if something were to happen, it would be tough luck. And it is only in that case where, right, where uh, we would agree with Amir Shaparanaya, right, that the collateral does not have to be replaced. Tanya Nami Hachim, you also have a Bryce to that effect, which is, right, Barry makes a collateral to Andrew and it gets destroyed. Govim Mishar Nechassim, Shtafanar technically means it's flooded. Govim Mishar Nechassim, that Andrew can collect from other assets of Barry. However, if Barry says to Andrew, you can only collect from this, and I'm not giving you any other assets of collateral, if anything would happen to this, it's an unsecured loan, so to speak, outside of this collateral, then, of course, if Andrew agrees to that, he can't uh, get from other nechassim. Similarly, similar halacha, So talking about what happened if something happens to a collateral, so now we're going to say there may be a distinction between a regular loan and a ksuba. We've learned ksubas, Baruch Hashem, so maybe we can understand this as follows. The, right, the Brisa has a Tanakhama says that whether it's a ksuba or a, or a chova, the question is, can Barry sell the apotiki? Wait a minute. Andrew has the apotiki. Why, how, what gives Barry the right to sell it? Hmm. Well, if you can go over Mishar Nechassim, in other words, you could say, you know what, I don't want you to have this collateral, but don't worry, I still owe you the money, and you can collect from other lands. So Rav Shimon Gamliel says, right, no. Rav Shimon Gamliel says, Baal Chov Gover Mishar Nechassim, Isha Eina Gover Mishar Nechassim. As the Rav explained here, the Rishonim explained over here uh, a very interesting thing. That when it comes to a regular debt, Andrew, in fact, the halacha stand, normative halacha is that Andrew can collect from other assets of Barry's. However, when it comes to ksuba, no. A wife, right, when it comes to ksuba, a wife should not be forced to collect from the chasim. Why? We're not going to make a woman go into the legal right uh, system and start getting involved with going into the offices and figuring out what the other assets are and what the other bank accounts are, which is to say, it's very important what the Rishonim say here, Tos was here 
underscores it and emphasizes that the sale has no validity, meaning that if somebody owes, right, his wife, Aksuba, he cannot, right? Whereas if Barry owes Andrew money and he gives him some sort of valuable property as a collateral, Barry can then sell that collateral in theory and then just replace it with some other asset and Andrew will collect from a different asset. If a man owes Aksuba to a woman, he can never sell that. Okay, that has, as the Tosas points out, it's a little too inside baseball for us, for Eun, but that, as Tosas points out, that is even stricter than a collateral that was designated with the, as exclusive collateral, as we just discussed before. Because if you designate something exclusive collateral, you could sell it, but you'd have to replace it in theory. Where, uh, whereas, whereas here, by the Ksuba, you can't sell it ever. Right, because we don't make women go chase the ksuba from other properties. Okay, that's the idea. Fine, we're at the mission of the bottom of from Adalif. And finally, we get to uh, Barry's favorite topic, even more so than Otzitz Nakav. He loves nothing more than a chetzi evid, chetzi ben choren, as follows. Says the Mishnah Misha chetzi evid, chetzi ben choren, Oved, as Rabbi Yom Echad, as Atzmi Yom Echad. The fascinating case of the chetzi evid, chetzi ben choren, the last, uh, not the last Rashi, but the Rashi and the Mishnah over here. Like two achin or two shutfin, right? You had partners, and one of them freed his chalik. So now, obviously, he's in an unusual situation. He's he's considered his vis-a-vis one person. He's a he's a slave. Vis-a-vis another person, he's a free man. That's quite a conundrum, Barry, because free man, he's a full-fledged Jew, right? Slave, he still has the halachas of slave. So Basil says, okay, work one day for one, one work with for the other. Bechamai, however, points out. Yeah, tikante masrabo. So vis-a-vis the masters, they have no more dilemma, right? Like on 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 shiny bechamishi, when he works for for Barry, he's a regular slave, and otherwise, when he works for liberal Andrew, he's he's totally free. So it's fine; he'll get a regular salary. So for them, Barry and Andrew are cool, but it's atzmos tikante. But when he comes to shul, what is he? Is he getting an aliyah, Barry? <laughs> like is he an evidence he bechorin? Or more intensely, Lisa shivcha yevshar shekvar chetzi bechorin. You can't marry a shivcha anymore, the Evid can't, because of the ben Choran aspect of him. And as we turn to Memo Afan Beis, but Chorin, you have to shikvar chetzi Evid. And nor, nor can he marry a regular Jewish woman and go to Karen Traub for Shedach, because half of him is still Meshubit as an Evid to Barry. So you bought hell. What are you going to do? No Shedach for you? But after all, the world was, only, was created, you can't just say that he can't get married. You're supposed to be, it's part of life. Shenerma, L'Sovara, L'Shevis Yitzara. L'Sovara is a Pesach in Isaiah, deep in, in Isaiah. Perak Mem, hey, I don't know if you knew that there were so many chapters. But the point is, and Tosos discusses why it didn't use Peri Virivia. We're not so, right, we're not so um, bothered by this because we know that, and of course, you know, if you're in Yeshiva, you'll go into this at depth. But the point is, he's a slave, right? So for Jews, there's a Pruervu, Maybe for maybe for a slave that's more of a low sovera, which the the which means you shouldn't leave the land desolate. That's part of life that is incumbent upon all humanity to populate the earth, right? So be that as it may, this slave can't get married. He can't get any shidduch because he's neither a slave, he's nishtahin and nishtahir, as they say. He's neither a slave nor ben chorin. We're going to say Barry, knock it off. You can't hold on to him. You have to free him. And then you're going to compensate Barry for this for his uh, portion of the slave. And 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 Beis Hillel, to their great credit, 
found great merit in Beit Shammai's point, and as the Mishnah says, amazingly, Bechazui Beis Hill, Lahoris Ketivrei Beit Shammai, is one of the cases where Hillel said, you know what, I think you have a point. We've solved, right, we, the Bezdin issue, uh, we solved uh, the issue between Barry and Andrew, but we didn't solve this poor slaves situation, and you're right, we have to do so, and therefore we're going to force Barry to free him as well, become a full Ben Chorin, and the Gemara now says, Tanar Barim, Shachachatzi Avdo, Rebbe Omer Kana, Chami Omer Lo Kana. Question is, if you free half your slave, does the slave acquire his free half? What is the question here? Well, according to Rebbe, he becomes a half-free man, half-slave. The question is, according to Chachamim, he's completely a slave. What, what is a half-Kenyan? What does that even mean? So, Amaraba, right, it's like half-pregnant. How, how are you a half-slave, right? So, Amaraba, Machlokas Bishtar. This is a real Machlokas between Rebbe and the Chachamim with regards to Shtar. Because the Rebbe Savar, and this all has to do with the Pasuk in Vayikra, Chaf Yates. Uh, actually, Vayikra Yates Chaf, rather. It's the Shifra Harufa. The Rebbe Savar, Vehefteloni Iftasa, Ochufshalo Nisan La. What's the case of the Shifra Harufa? That's going to be where we discuss the rest of the Daf. The Shifra Harufa, the Pasuk says, Vayish Kishkaves Hisha, Shifra Zerav, Vayishivcha Necherefes Laish. What does that mean? What is a shivcha harufa? Says Rashi, on chumish, you'll never see this word harufa anywhere else in in the whole chumish, in the whole psukim. Well, if Rashi says it, you, you should believe him. He knows chumish very well. Needless to say, so what is the shivcha harufa? Says Rashi on the chumish, peyikra perik yotes patukhaf, or shivcha kananis chetzia shivcha vechetzia baschorin. So what happens here is you have a shivcha kananis. That's half shivcha and half emancipated, as we've discussed. Ha-me'ureset le'evid ivri. Okay? And she is, like, engaged, so to speak. We know what Arison is. She's been designated for an evid ivri. Shemutr b'shivcha ha-kosav midaber. The evid ivri is mutter to marry shivcha. And what happened? A man, a regular Yisrael, like one of the masters, um, takes her. He's not allowed to do that. What's the issue? She's partially emancipated, partially not. What's the Chiddush? The Chiddush is what the Pasuk continues to say. In other words, it's a big Chiddush. It's a complicated case. Obviously, it's complicated. She's half freed. She's not half freed. The point is, normally, there'd be an issue issue here. That's what Rashi is saying. The Ebed Ivri is rightfully, like, uh, engaged to her, so to speak. Arison is Kiddushin, which means that she's technically an Aishas Ish to him. But because of her very complicated status, if that Aishas Ish were to be with another man, they wouldn't have the normal halachas of Aishas Ish where everybody gets killed. But rather, you get Malkus, it's a different thing because she has this weird status, okay? As Rashi says, you'll never see anything like this anywhere else. It's a very singularly unique case, okay? So what do we learn from this case? Well, it says, The Pasuk is interesting. The Pasuk says she was partially redeemed, not fully redeemed, nor was there chufsha, means she didn't get chufesh, right? She didn't get freed. So makesh tar lakesef. What's the point? Rabbah is saying that the Pasuk, what the Pasuk is trying to say is comparing shtar lakesef, because hefte lo is really with money, chufsha lo is really with a shtar, and therefore, that is Rebbe's source, amazingly, this Pasuk of Heftel Heftel Da, Ochub Shalantan La, is Rebbe's source 
that you can have a half slave. How so? Because just like we already explained, if you have, let's say, two shudfim, you can like sort of half, half free a slave financially. So similarly, a star can actually effectuate the half freeing of a slave. That's Rebbe's position. However, Verabonin Gamri La La Meisha, La La Meisha, it's more of a Gazera Shava, right? It's not a Hekesh. It's very important, the wording here. Makish is the first, is Rebbe. This is a Gezerah Shava. Gezerah Shava is where you take two words that are the same. Where's the other word? Yeah. It, the, the other word, La La, is the Gezerah Shava. Ma'isha chetzya lo, af ebenami chetzya lo. Because of anasan la, right? When you give a woman a get, that's gitten. We know that law. When in gitten, you say the word law. Gitten, you can't half divorce a woman. And therefore, the star can only be for the entirety and totality of that woman. Similarly for Nevin, only for the entirety and totality of the Evan. But Kesef, everybody knows that you could do half measures. So the Gemara says, So now we have a fundamental machlokas in hermeneutics of how we understand Psukim, right? Because Rebbe is using a Hekesh and, and, the, and, the, and the Chachamim are using a Gezer Shava. So maybe the Chachamim think that one is stronger than the other. Again, a Hekesh is an analogy, right? Um, whereas the Gezer Shava is you taking the words. So says the Gemara, Lo, the Chula Alma Gezer Shava Adifa. This is very important. In other words, everybody holds that a Gezer Shava is more important. You have to see the Rashi here. Why? The Kevah, the Mufna Lidrosh, Habila Keman, the Kasve, Begufe, the Kra. That's really important. The Gezer Shava, right, is something, Kevah, as Rashi continues to say, Yeah, that's Tarsha Balfeh, but that's Allah Chalamashi Misinai, so to speak. In other words, how do we know that la la means is referring to a star of a woman versus a star vis-a-vis a star of a evan? Because that's what we learned in the Torah Shabbat Peh. Gzeir Shavas were given in Shamayim, right? And Sinai. So that obviously is stronger than a Hekesh. Hekesh is like you're using your brain, right? Hekesh is like Veheftal and Iftasa, Chubshal and It sounds like it's making a comparison, making an analogy. Yeah, but all the analogies in the world are going to fall apart once you know that the Torah itself, Hashem told you that la la tells you something, that's certainly, that Gezer Shava is stronger than a Hekesh. So says the Gemara, no. Everyone holds that Gezer Shava is more important than a Hekesh. But here, Rebbe is going to say it's different because this Gezer Shava can be blown out of the water. That's what Lemefach means, right? Why? Because Because after all, you're going to try to say la love and Evan and Isha, this is a fascinating thing. You could spend months on this. Can you take a Gezerah Shava that's supposedly Misenai and say that that Gezerah Shava doesn't work? I don't know, apparently so. Because why? Because an Evan and Isha are totally, right, not comparable. Because after all, and you, you can marry one with Kesef, but you can't divorce a woman with Kesef. We're learning Masechah's Gittin. We know that you can only divorce a woman with a Shtar. So that's not, sh- so therefore, will you say the same for a slave? So in other words, the law is that uh, Evid can go out with a monetary payment. So since that's the law for a slave, so certainly that is more liberal. And therefore, you can't say that, so in other words, we're still going to hold of Xer Shava La La, right? The emancipation of a slave and the 
divorce of a woman certainly is going to have many parallels as we've already seen. So that's not going to be the issue. The Gzair Shava exists, but it doesn't apply to this case of Achatzi measures, right? Because obviously, since an Evid can in fact be emancipated through a financial transaction, so then financial transaction have half measures, as opposed to a woman, which we know specifically can only be, right, uh, divorced with a star, and there's no half measure of the star, and it is for that reason that the Gzair Shava does not apply to this half measures. However, right, the, it's only having to do with kesef. This is a different way of looking at the machlokas, that this dispute has only to do with monetary. The Rebbe, when he read the Pasuk Hefta, Lonif Dasa, he says that kesef should work to only have half measures by money. Rabbanan have a fascinating understanding of the Pasuk. It says, So, if you read it literally, it sounds like, oh, she was redeemed, she wasn't redeemed, right? Obviously, it's an internal contradiction. Or maybe it's just the way people talk, right? And she wasn't redeemed. Surely she wasn't redeemed, right? So that's what the Rabbana, they read it like the way people talk. Um, right? But when, it, but when you're talking about a star, everybody would agree that a slave can't get, you know, half measures freedom through a star. So now... Rabbi Yosef is contested. Meisvei Hamashach Chatzi Avda Bishtar Rabbi Omer Kana V'Chamim Omer Lokana. It sounds like a direct, immediate challenge to Rabbi Yosef because, after all, it sounds like there's a machlokas about star. Rabbi Yosef thinks that everybody holds that star can't have half measures. Tiyufta der Rabbi Yosef Tiyufta. Yeah, that definitely sounds like it's a challenge to him. Uh, and now, okay, what about this partial redemption through money? Bishtaru Dipligi Av Bechesef Lo Pligi. So now we have a double tiyuf to Rabbi Yosef. So I'm Rabbi Yosef. Pligi b'shtar v'hu adin b'kesef. How to come in for b'shtar? The diacha korucho the Rebbe. So we'll resume tomorrow, where we'll discuss how Rabbi Yosef uh, um, analyzes this kesef versus star issue as we uh, resume a little bit more than halfway down. Mem Aleph Amad Beis.